Good morning, everyone. Before we get into our <coughs> text this morning, um, you can be turning there, actually. It's going to be in Genesis 18. I just want to um, express our thankfulness for our family uh, of being here with you this week. It's been a delight to get to know many of you, to hear how the Lord's using you, um, your struggles, uh, things that uh, you hope to be able to um, do for the Lord afterwards and so forth. Thank you uh, to the committee as well. I know that it takes a lot of work to put on a conference like this. So thank, thanks to each committee member as well. And uh, it's been a joy to share the ministry with Brother Nate uh, this week as well. Um, <clears throat> there was an incident yesterday that happened. And um, Brother Gary says that I should probably confess it. So... I'm going to before you open the word, just so there's no hindrance. Um, so yesterday, Brenda, Kelsey, and I left Curry Village, and we did the Nevada Falls hike and down the John Muir Trail. Beautiful. I'm not confessing that. Every part of that was lovely. But um, if you've been up in Nevada Falls, if you go across the bridge and you go to the western part of that, um, you look down, there's a sheer cliff for several hundred feet. But there's also a little ledge about three feet wide. It's four, four and a half feet down. And uh, so I was standing there doing some video. And I was there first, and Brenda and Kelsey were maybe 40 yards away. They were closing in. And I just went. <laughs> and I stayed down for about seven or eight seconds, I heard the feet coming over, and then I popped up, and my beautiful wife of th almost 34 years says this, I want a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> and I said I was sorry, although I was still laughing. <laughs> and um, I said I kind of hurt my knee jumping down. And she says, you know, I just heard a good message today about sowing to the flesh <laughs> and the laws of the harvest. You would do well to listen to it. <laughs> so I, I kind of confess that. Um, I'm still working it through in my conscience. But um, anyway, Gary thought I should get that all straightened out. Genesis chapter 18. You feel better now, right? I, yes, I'm still working it out in my conscience. <laughs> Anyway, it was fun. It was a lovely hike, and um, again, it's, this, is one, this is a very beautiful place, great place together in the name of the Lord Jesus. Genesis 18, we've had this wonderful journey all week long where we've been thinking about what the flesh is, how it behaves, what it doesn't like, um, uh, how God's program for dealing with the flesh. Yesterday, we saw how to have victory over the flesh, and, and today, I would like to leave you with a chapter, which I think... It's one of the best chapters in all of God's Word to show us um, what it's like to have communion with a holy God when there's no flesh causing any distraction or any barriers, okay? And I think this is a wonderful, every verse of this chapter, uh, it, it's the permeation, it's the smell of a man of God in communion with his God. And I want to suggest, uh, there'll be four points to this. I want to suggest that these are the privileges of the devotional life. 
Um, what we see here in Genesis chapter 18, I believe, is exactly what the New Testament church experienced after receiving the Holy Spirit in a corporate sense. Acts 2.42, <clears throat> they enjoyed the apostles' doctrine. They enjoyed fellowship. Actually, in the Greek, it's the fellowship. There's a definite article there. And they enjoyed the breaking of the bread, or Lord's Supper, and they enjoyed prayer. Four things. We're going to see those same four things here uh, in Genesis chapter 18. By the way, I just make that point about the definite article uh, in the fellowship, because sometimes we think if we set food out on a table, we're going to create fellowship. We're going to have a fellowship dinner, right? Well, we don't create fellowship. We only enjoy his fellowship, right? My, my relationship with Gary goes up before it comes down, right? So if, I, if I'm in communion and fellowship with the Lord, and Gary's in communion and fellowship with the Lord, then we're going to be in fellowship with each other. Either one of us is out of fellowship with the Lord. We're not going to enjoy his fellowship. It's in, at his table set in the heavenly places. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 10. If I had more time, I'd love to expound that passage. But uh, those same four things we see uh, in the life of Abraham in chapter 18 of Genesis. Now, as I go through this in these four points, I want you to notice what Abraham is doing and what he's not doing. Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. Then the, uh, Lord, then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees. These were, these were just tall shade trees of Mamre. And he was sitting, mark that, he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted up his voice and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, bowed himself to the ground, and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh your hearts. After that you may pass by, inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, Do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the heat, or sorry, ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter, milk, and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. All right, so here's the scene. It's the heat of the day. The sun's up high. Uh, the flap of Abraham's tent door is open. He's setting in just inside in the shade. Probably the back flap is open, allowing some, some air to go through. And he looks up, and he sees the Lord. And, well, he sees three men, and later we find out it's the Lord, a theophany, and two angels, the appearance of men. And uh, immediately, this nearly 100-year-old man jumps into action. He runs. This is the heat of the day. Uh, I quit running about five, six years ago. It's too painful now. This man's nearly 100, and he's running in the heat of the day. That gives us an idea of, of the, the joy that Abraham had in seeing 
his God, seeing his Lord, and wanting to refresh the heart of his God in any way that he could. So he runs out there, and it says he, he bowed himself to the ground. Now, this is the Hebrew shaka. It's the first time that it appears in Scripture. And what Abraham is showing us here is what worship means. Shaka is normally translated worship throughout the Old Testament. It's the same word that appears in Genesis 22 when Abraham worshipped at Moriah, when he was going to offer Isaac as a burnt offering. So we understand what shaka means. It means to worship. And so Abraham is bowing down. He's taking a low place before his God. His heart is leaping into action to do whatever he can to refresh the Lord. Now, as you look at the text, how much does the Lord actually say during those first eight verses? Do what you say. That's it. That's all he said. So as we're thinking about worship, that makes very good sense. Worship is a heart that is enthusiastic to refresh the heart of God. And so worship is our expression to him. It's, it's one directional. We're giving back to him what we understand he's already given to us, right? And so it's a humble disposition before the Lord with the attitude of refreshing the heart of God. Now, the other thing to notice here is he, he um, also gets his family involved with refreshing the Lord, right? And his servants, his household involved. Uh, he goes in the tent and says, Sarah, get, uh, start kneading the bread, get it rising, baking. He goes uh, out to the herd, he picks uh, a young calf, and he gets one of his servants to start dressing it out. Now, this is not fast food, right? This is going to take time. This is work. Worship is work. It takes time in God's word, understanding the character, attributes of God, and then giving back to him what, what he would enjoy hearing. And so um, in the first section on worship, refreshing the heart of God, we see Abraham running back and forth, humble disposition, getting his family involved with refreshing the heart of God. Now, an application I want to speak to the fathers and dads. One of the things that's very important is that dads lead the way of getting their families ready for worship. Uh, one, one way to do that is on Saturday evenings, go around to each of your children and say, um, if you're breaking bread, that is on a weekly basis on Sundays, Acts 20, verse 7, so it's Saturday night, you can go around each of your children. Um, now, tomorrow we're going to gather before the Lord. Have, have, do you have your sins confessed? Do you have a thought of worship to give to the Lord tomorrow? And this is a misconception, I think, that is really hurting a lot of New Testament assemblies. Every man, woman, and child who's a believer should be coming to the Lord's Supper with thoughts of adoration. And if you're having daily quiet times, what we've tried to teach our kids is to look for it every day, all week long. And so you're preparing your basket of worship. Now, Satan today is attacking the fundamentals that God put in place in Genesis chapter 1 through 3. Gender and marriage. God has an order of things within the church. Men are to lead. They have the audible ministry. Women are to 
conceal competing glories. They have a visible ministry like the cherubim and the seraphim in heaven. But everyone, every believer is to worship before the Lord. When a brother stands up in the Lord's Supper and he is speaking, that's not the worship. That just aligns, the Holy Spirit's just using that brother to line everyone's thoughts on the same thing. The words don't go past the back door of the ceiling tile. The worship that God is interested in is what comes from the heart. And so as men, women, and children have prepared hearts, sins confess, the worship comes from each heart. It mingles together as a sweet incense. It goes right up into the nostrils of God. God breathes it in and says, Oh, that reminds me of my son. And it refreshes the heart of God. I don't know how many times through the years that my wife and daughters have come up to me after the Lord's Supper and said, Dad or sweetheart, at least it was sweetheart before yesterday, <laughs> thank you for sharing my thought. Um, my wife often picks a hymn each Sunday for, to express her thought. And um, I, I'll just share this story. I don't think she'll mind. We were, I had a conference at Sudbury, Ontario in late March, and then we went over to the Ottawa, Ontario for another conference. And um, we were sitting there at Sudbury in the Lord's Supper, and the first hymn called out, was the hymn that my wife chose for that Sunday. We go over to Renfrew in Ontario. The very first hymn called out there was the hymn she had already opened. And she had tears running down her face, and she said, God, it's so good to me. You know what that shows the sisters? It shows when a brother shares exactly what's on your heart, what you've been meditating on, it shows two things. One, God is listening to my heart. How encouraging is that? And secondly, that brother that's standing up is speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I know, I won't mention any names, but I know some that keep ledgers, Lord's Supper ledgers of songs, thoughts, uh, journaling. Uh, this is a very serious matter. This was hard work. This is not fast food. If we really want to refresh the heart of God, we've got to be in his word and be led by the Spirit of God and arrange this wonderful bouquet of praise. And when we come together, and if we're paired worshipers, it is a sweet incense into the nostrils of God. All right? So one of the blessings of the devotional life is to have this Ability to sense God's presence, come before him, bow humbly, and do whatever he wants to refresh him. Now, Abraham does the most of the talking here because he didn't know what God wanted. Right? He had to ask. And the Lord says, just do that. That's all he says in that whole section. We know what the Lord requires. We don't have to ask the Lord. We just need to do it and obey it. Amen? That's what's going to refresh the heart of God. Now, the next verse is a transition verse. Verse 9, then they said, this would be the Lord of the angels, where is Sarah your wife? So he said, or Abraham, here in the tent. And he said, the Lord said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, 
and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself after, I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, or Lord said, no, but you did laugh. If there was any doubt who her husband was speaking to, it got all settled through this, right? Um, the Lord says, now the Lord knew where Sarah was at. I think she was as close to that doorway in the tent as possible, listening in to this conversation. He says, where's Sarah? Oh, well, she's in the tent. And then the Lord does this. He affirms his promises, his covenant promises. He affirms his character, his attributes. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Our God is a covenant-keeping God. Every promise that he's given in Scripture, he will honor. We don't have to worry about that. We can hold him to that because of his character, his godly character. And so uh, notice in verse 10 through verse 15, how much did Abraham say? Not a word. Well, this is the apostles' doctrine. Uh, in other words, we're receiving revelation from the Lord. So we had the worship, the Lord's Supper in the first section. Now we have, in, from the corporate set, setting and also a personal setting, we have receiving revelation and direction from the Lord. So it would be appropriate for Abraham not to speak. So he's receiving from the Lord. He's standing. Okay, He's not serving now, running back and forth. He's standing, just receiving from the Lord. Now, in Sarah's defense, it doesn't tell us what kind of laugh it was. And she didn't say it out loud. It's just something she was thinking. Like, huh, we don't know if it's like, I'm old, how can I have a baby? Or, no way, I'm way too old to have a baby. We're, we don't know what kind of laugh it was, but it didn't matter. The Lord overheard her thoughts. And then he reproves her, and she denies it. God affirms his promises, his character. These are the things that we get from God's word when we're studying it. These are the things we hold on to. These are the things we should stand just like Abraham and be in awe in. Now the third section starts in verse 16. Then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them, so now he's walking, went with them to send them away. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I was doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, 
but Abraham still stood before the Lord. So he stops walking, he stands before the Lord. This section is on communion and fellowship. Um, So Abraham sets this table. It's got steak, bread, butter, the whole works. The the feet uh, of the Lord have been washed. He's been refreshed. Abraham now has stood. He's received revelation from the Lord, uh, confirming his promises, his character, and so forth. And now we learn that the Lord came down for several reasons. One, to have fellowship with his man of faith, who's now been restored. A lapse in chapter 16, restored in chapter 17, verse 18. Every verse permeates the devotional life of the believer in fellowship with God. And um, we find out that he is going to see himself just in Sodom and Gomorrah, these wicked cities. Now, God already knew what was there. But he's going to send two witnesses into the city so they know that God knows what's there. God's going to be very clear when he judges. The books will be open. There'll be no question about it. And God says, well, I had two witnesses that affirm that. And then as we get to the next section, we'll see that God wanted an intercessor. Now, um, anybody here ever talk out loud to yourself when nobody else is around? Yeah, I don't think it's mental uh, illness, actually. Uh, uh, sometimes it helps just to audibleize your thoughts and make sense of them. And I think the Lord here is just talking out loud. That's possibly he's talking to the angels. But he's, he's walking along with Abraham. Well, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm going to do since he's going to command his children to walk in the way of the Lord and so forth? And uh, it's just like he's talking out loud. Now, how much does Abraham say in verses 16 through 22? Not a word. Not one word. And we think, wow, that's a little strange. When the idea of fellowship, we think of like communion in two ways, right? But think about when you're talking with your spouse or a good friend, uh, what is the things that you're talking about? Most of the time, it's things that are troubling us. It's things that are causing us sorrow. It's things that's causing us pain. It's suffering, right? That has a lot to do with our conversations with each other. Uh, flip over to Zephaniah for a moment. I mentioned this verse earlier in the week during our morning devotions. I love this verse. Zephaniah 3, by the way, the Z books in the Old Testament are towards the end, second from the end, and fourth from the end. Zephaniah and Zechariah. Zephaniah, fourth from the end. Now, in the context of the end of chapter 3, this is dealing with Israel being restored to the Lord in the millennial kingdom. But I think in application, it refers to all the redeemed. Verse 17. Now, listen to this. This is Almighty God, the creator of the universe. The Lord our God, Jehovah our God, in your midst, the Mighty One will save He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Hudson Taylor was a pioneer missionary into China in the late 19th century. Uh, In China, he met Maria, They married, they had seven children. Uh, In the course of time, they sent their four oldest children back to the UK for schooling. And um, as 
time went on, uh, Hudson and Maria experienced the loss of three children dying, died in China. And then shortly after the birth of their seventh, Maria died also after 12 and a half years of marriage. And Hudson Taylor was left alone in China with his four older children on the other side of the world. In God's provision of grace, he provided a second wife. Uh, she left China um, after a period of time and went back to oversee the four older children. And then sometime later, Hudson uh, also came to the UK and they were reunited, reunited after a long, uh, a long time being apart. In the Hudson recounts that we sat in the back of the carriage and Hudson and his wife were holding hands. And he said the moment was so surreal that neither of us could speak a word. And he remembered that verse in Zephaniah 3. I will quiet you with my love. Beloved, what will it be like in a twinkling of an eye? The trump, the shout, and everything that has ever caused you to weep, to groan, moan, suffer, keep, your, keep you up late at night, stir up your stomach acids. Everything that's ever caused pain is instantly gone, and you're basking in the beauty and bliss of Almighty God. What will that be like? And he will quiet us with his love. I don't think that, I just think the moment will be so surreal we won't be able to speak. It's like, I mean, how do you even describe that? And I think that's what Abraham was enjoying. He was just enjoying walking along with his, his God in perfect communion. He had no pain or suffering. He had nothing to complain about. He was just enjoying the presence of God. The purest fellowship, really. I'm not saying that God doesn't love to hear us, but from our perspective, our souls are completely satisfied being in the presence of God, and we have no need. Amen? So this is a beautiful section. Um, I, I just want to take a little tangent here now and think about chapter 19 with Lot. Lot was a carnal believer, separated from the man of God. He looked to when, when uh, chapter 13, when Abraham said, hey, we can't have strife. We got the Canaanites here, the Perizzites. We can't have strife among the brethren. It grieved Abraham's heart. So he set aside his rights. He had the title deed to the whole land. He said, Lot, you look anywhere you, where you want to go, and, and you can have it. Well, Lot got a taste of Egypt in his mouth when he was down there during the famine. And so he looks up, he sees Sodom. He says, oh, that reminds me of Egypt. And that's the way he goes. And so he pitches his tent towards Sodom. Before long, he's living in Sodom and, and then at the gate of Sodom. Maybe even had a um, position of authority. Now, when you look at those first three verses of chapter 19, the angels arrive at Sodom after they leave uh, Abraham and the Lord uh, it's, not, it's dark, late at night. Um, Lot sees them, invites them to his home, and they say no. They didn't even want to spend time with a carnal believer. Right? And then finally, Lot encourages them. By the way, it says they appeared as angels in chapter 19. They appeared as men to uh, Abraham in chapter 18. The more personal uh, description. And finally, Lot encourages them to come and what's he set before them? Unleavened bread. It's the first mention of leaven in Scripture normally speaks of sin. But it's also the quick meal. 
It's like you just mix up some batter, put it on a grill. It's like a pancake and you serve it. Abraham and his family labored a long time to give God their best. But the carnal man, not in fellowship with the Lord, in darkness, Abraham sees the Lord, his sun's high in the sky, full of light. Reminds us of um, 1 John chapter 1. If we want to walk with the Lord, we have to walk with him in the light or truth. He won't walk in the darkness. He's holy. We have to come out of darkness. And so it's vividly displayed between the carnal believer, Lot, in chapter 19, who eventually loses everything, including his integrity, and the spiritual man, Abraham, in chapter 18, who has wonderful fellowship with the Lord. Now, in verse 22, it says, Abraham stood. So they were walking along. Uh, Abraham was walking with the Lord, enjoying this wonderful fellowship. And then they stop. The two angels go on east to Sodom. And now Abraham is left with his God alone. Abraham came near and said... Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Now listen to verse 25. This is a mortal man talking to the creator of the universe. Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Wow, those are bold words. And how does God respond to that? Does he reprove Abraham? No. God says, if there's 50 righteous in Sodom, I'll spare the city. And I'm thinking, Abraham thought, wow, that went good. Right? And so he, he says, Lord, if there's 45, will you spare it? The Lord says, yeah, for 45. And the Lord works him down to 40, to 30, to 20. And then we pick up in verse 32. Then he, Abraham, let not the Lord be angry. Have we seen the Lord angry, angry at all in this chapter? No, not at all. The Lord, this is what he desired from Abraham. He came desiring an intercessor for the wicked. God doesn't get his kicks by punishing the wicked. It doesn't give him pleasure, but he's a holy God. The wicked must be judged. But he's longing for someone to stand in the gap, and he knew the heart of Abraham, and he was right. Abraham stood in the gap for the wicked, and so he's making intercession. He says, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak but once more. Notice that. He says, I'll speak but once more. Suppose ten should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he, the Lord, had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Who started the conversation, the intercession? Abraham did. Who ended it? Abraham did. He says, Lord, I'll only speak once more. I think Abraham thought that he had been successful in intercession. Let's see, Lot, Lot's wife, Lot's unmarried daughters, Lot's daughters are married, their son-in-laws, he was probably counting, oh, there's got to be at least ten righteous in Sodom. What, what a despairing scene to open the tent flap the next morning and look out to the, the Jordan plain and see the whole thing up in smoke. There weren't ten righteous. 
in Sodom, and God destroyed the city. I think Abraham thought he'd been successful in intercession, but he quit too early. The harder our God is such, I think if Abraham went down to five or less, he would have gone on. But he said, I'll just speak once more. Um, This is convicting to me because um, God wants us to keep intercessing. He wants us to keep knocking, keep seeking. I think oftentimes we allow the flesh to insert a thought like, that's sufficient. Well, when is God's grace and mercy ever constrained? We want the full portion of it. And so God loves an intercessor. Now, it says in verse 23 that Abraham came near. How far is that? I mean, here they are, they're walking along, and then it says Abraham stood. The angels go off to the east to Sodom. And so Abraham and the Lord are left standing together. It says he came near. One step, two steps. Do you see how easy God makes it to intercede for the wicked and for the wayward? God came all the way down from heaven, took a human form, the heat of the day. He sat under a tree, ate a meal that he did need to eat. It took a long time to prepare. He's walking along in the heat of the day um, just so Abraham can take one step to come near with intercession. He's done it all. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, we had the invitation to come boldly before the throne of grace and seek mercy in time of need. Beloved, I think this is why the church is so weak today, is we're not storming the throne of grace and receiving God's help. We don't intercede as we ought to. We're not, as Nate said, we're not desperate as we ought to be. We think we can somehow do it in our own strength. Or we think that that's enough, God. You've honored yourself. That's enough. You don't need to do any more. And I, I want to see God get all the glory. I want to see a great work, a great revival. I know the greatest revival that will ever come upon mankind is ahead in the tribulation period, and I praise God for that. But wouldn't it be great if the church would awake out of her comatose Um, semi-quasi-spiritual state and was uh, awakened to the fact that we're in a war, we desperately need our God, and he is able. Amen? Wouldn't that be great? I love this chapter. We see all four things, um, these privileges of the devotional life that are in Acts 2.42. In the first eight verses, we see Abraham humbly worshiping for the Lord, doing whatever the Lord wants to refresh his heart. By the way, I think uh, if, you, if you neglect coming together corporately to remember the Lord, the Lord's Supper, there is something wrong with your heart. It was this dying request. Uh, we should give to him what he says he wants. And um, if... If we just stand before the Lord, he will teach us. He will show us. Lord, show me. What is it you want? So we have the apostles' doctrine. We have this opportunity to walk with the Lord, walk in the Spirit and enjoy communion with the Lord. And then we have this wonderful privilege of being able to intercede on on behalf of the wayward and the wicked. Those that are in spiritual blindness that can't see. We can see. We know. We know what's, out, what's going to happen afterwards. God will keep all of his promises. We know the, the integrity of God. We know his character. We know 
his attributes, and he is able. And we need to come near. Amen? We need to come near. Father, again, we thank you for this text. Wow, what, what can I say, Lord? You're awesome. Uh, you do awesome things. You allow us to come along with you to see them. We pray, Father, that we might be um, a holy people drawing near, storming the throne of grace, so to speak, that we might see your greatness and awe, see others come to know you. Lord, it's been a wonderful week, and uh, I just want to thank you for each one that's come. I pray that you've spoken to each one this week. And uh, Father, I pray that as we leave this place today, that we continue to uh, ponder these things. Lord, please don't this uh, tickle us or uh, say, oh, that was a good message or whatever. We want to be a changed people. And I pray that as we leave this conference today, um, that we would be a changed people and that we would give you the honor and glory you deserve. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.